Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Lars Lindstrom here from Creative Income. I just wanted to take a second, our second of gratitude for the week. Uh, last week I, I released the episode that my dad had the chance to interview me for the podcast and, um, it was shared probably 20, 30 times. I mean, it was really overwhelming. It was incredible. And it immediately showed up in the numbers too. Like by far, that was the best two or three days that the podcast has had since its inception by far. So thank you genuinely for, for your comments, your reviews, your shares. Uh, it really showed up. Um, if you didn't have a chance to share, I have good news for you. You can always share now. You can go ahead and uh, copy a link to this podcast wherever you're listening to your podcast and go ahead and post it in Facebook or Instagram. That would be greatly appreciated. Um, or don't, you know? You do you, man. But uh, anyway, it's been it's been great. And I'm, I'm having a lot of great feedback, very positive feedback from people. Um, my, my cousin Kristen, who has faithfully listened to every episode of the podcast so far, has some great suggestions and I, and I'd be curious to see what you guys think also. We're, we're thinking about maybe in, in between the weekly podcast doing smaller segments where it's just me talking to a microphone about some financial thought I've had or some financial question I've had from that week. So, uh, what do you think guys? Uh, message me or send me a text and just let me know if you think that would be beneficial or questions you might have. Um, so we can start putting those like 10 to 15 minute segments together, maybe maybe one or two a week uh, in between the big episodes. Um, great. Yeah, today, Ryan Little. I mean, what a wizard. Just an absolute wizard. I'm really excited for this podcast. Ryan Little um, is a filmmaker. He's a film director and cinematographer. Um, his story of how he became a film director and not just a cinematographer is hysterical. Uh, but he's also a magician. Like this guy walks into uh, a meeting to get financing for his very first feature film, by the way, that he's going to direct and shoot as a cinematographer. And for those in the filmmaking world, you should know that that, that doesn't happen very often. Anyway, sits down and was going to ask for 700000 and they gave him more. And uh, you get to find out why right now. So here we go. Ryan Little, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time and your talent. Uh, this is really great for me. So I, if you wouldn't mind, just start off by telling us who you are and where you come from, what you do. So my name is Ryan Little. Uh, I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Um, my mom was from Toronto. My dad's from New York. So I'm a dual citizen of the U.S. and Canada. So I can just kind of wander and do whatever I want, live wherever I want, which is kind of nice for me as a filmmaker. But um, I am a, a, a DGA director uh, and also a cinematographer. Um, and and uh, I grew up in Vancouver. Um, back in the 80s, there was a boom in the film industry. That's when there was tax incentives kind of being put into place. Well, not so much tax incentives. There was just a good... Uh, uh, um, exchange rate. So a lot of U.S. companies mm. are filming stuff. And my first taste in the film world was uh, being an extra on a show that Johnny Depp was in called 21 Jump Street. Um, mm -hmm. And then that turned into working opportunities on X-Files, another show called Booker and different things like that. And that's when I became interested in, in wanting to work in film. My family owned a camera store. I always thought I was going to be a photographer. Um, and then my love of photography turned into cinematography. And then my love of cinematography turned into wanting to direct. 
direct features specifically. Um, yeah. So that anyway, that in a nutshell is is kind of who I am and and my very sp- very you know brief version of my journey to what I do now. Talk about outliers, man! It's like you had so many things going for you. I think the same thing is like dual citizenship, uh, yeah. a booming film industry in Canada, and then your family owned a camera shop. So it's like you you had that that bug kind of put into your brain super early on. It sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just, I always wanted to do something with pictures and stuff. Even my dad, when I was a kid would shoot, um, family, uh, films on super eight and things like that. So I was, I was around all of those elements from being very young and, and photography, you know, eighties was also when skateboarding was really big. And my Mm. father was at that time, he was the president of the Cape, the Canadian skateboard association. And so there is, a, there, I, I had no idea there was such thing. There was, there was, well, there was the American Skateboard Association, which was run by uh, Tony Hawk's parents. Okay. And then the Canadian Association was run by my dad. And so a lot of the Pal Peralta guys and stuff in the eighties would come up for things called like the border wars and they would come up and stay at our house. And uh, I got to know all those guys really well and um, just loved shooting uh, a lot of skateboard uh photographs back in the eighties, not so much video video really wasn't so much of a thing yet. Um, I mean, you could definitely shoot on a super eight or whatever, and maybe on some high eight, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, primarily just going out at night with my friends and shooting cool locations of them doing street skating and stuff like that. And got into weird, like long exposures and, you know, doing stuff with lights and all kinds of crazy crap like that. And, and that just, that fueled my interest to want to be I don't know. At that time when you're a kid, a professional skateboard photographer probably was in my brain or something. I don't know. Um, and then I would develop the film at the store. I'd get one roll of film of 36 exposures every week and I would just experiment. And and I, they, we'd have all this uh, all this demo gear that would come from different sales agents. So I'd get to try all these cameras out like Minolta cameras or Pentax mm-hmm. or whatever. And they would say, Hey, you know, try this medium format camera this week. See if you guys want to carry it in the store. And then I would use it for the week and test it out. And so it was good. It was, it was, it was a really fun time for me. Um, were you, were you able to charge for any of those photographs? Were you able to sell them to any of the, uh, the skaters or any associations? No, I never sold anything back then. Um, there was a couple times where people would pay me to shoot pictures of them skating for, you know, promotional stuff where they were trying to get sponsorships as, as skateboarders. But I would always, you know, pretty much charge them like, you know, I was a teenager, so I'd probably much charge them like, you know, Hey, for 20 bucks, I'll, uh, mm-hmm shoot a roll of film for you and give you whatever, all the pictures and the negatives, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. And, you know, so just pocket change stuff, you know? Yeah. So did you, at what point did you, did you go to school for, yeah. for filmmaking or cinematography? Yeah. So then, um, I'm just trying to think now. So basically what happened was, um, I, again, I wanted to, to do photography. Um, and there was a local college called Capilano College in North Vancouver. And they didn't really have a film program per se. They had some film courses, but it wasn't a full-blown program like it is now. If you go there now, you can take a full film degree there. Um, but they had a few classes and I took a Super 8 class and loved it and thought, you know what? I, I think this cinematography thing is a little bit more interesting to me than just photography. Um, and so then I started shooting, you know, just random things on high eight at the time. Um, and then I became interested in the idea of going to a real film school. Vancouver film school was in motion, but it, I don't know. I took like a weekend course there and I didn't feel like the program was really right for me yet. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so then um, someone suggested looking at uh, BYU in Utah, and this is in the mid-90s, and the program, the tuition was really reasonable. But in addition to that, also um, – for we were still shooting on 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter at that time um all that equipment was available to the students for free where if you had gone to nyu or afi or something like that uh, a lot of times um you'd have to go out and rent that gear for your for your projects and um i didn't have a lot of money and i thought well heck i'm gonna go and go to that school and use all their gear. And it was awesome. They had an in-house lab at that time. And, oh, wow. it, and the developing was six cents a foot <laughs> for 35 millimeter. I mean, you know, uh, you, you, could, you couldn't get a student discount anywhere for that price. And so I just went there and wanted to be a DP. And I just shot, 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 shot for everybody I could on 16 and 35 to just, you know, get into that realm of wanting to be a professional cinematographer. Um, and it wasn't until my senior year when I was like, you know, I, I got an idea for a little movie, a little war, World War II movie I want to do, a short film. But if I'm going to pay for it, I don't know why I'd let somebody else direct it. So <laughs> maybe I'll just shoot and direct it, you know? That's um, so crazy. What made you think that you could direct the film? Was it a short, was it a short film at the <laughs> it time? A short film day. It was like 10 yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. World War II short film takes place during Battle of the Bulge. Um, I guess, well, I, I wasn't sure that I could direct. But the thing is, is someone brought it to my attention that's like, you actually probably have more training than most directors because you are shooting for other people who are directing. And by doing that, you're seeing the good and the bad. Yeah. The different styles. Uh, the yeah. different styles. And you're going, hey, there's something I will never do if I direct. Oh, well, I'm, mm-hmm. that's smart. I will definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of times a director who's like all of a sudden says, I want to be a director. They don't usually shadow and follow other directors or have that chance to watch other directors very often. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they shadow and stuff. But a Look lot of times through PA or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or AD or work their AD. way. Out. Yeah. But um, there are a lot of people that just go wake up and go. I've read a couple books. I'm a director. And then they somehow magically get money and then they fumble their way through. (laughs) And they just fumble their way through making their first movie. So Uh uh, yeah, somebody brought to my attention like, I actually probably can direct better than you think because you've been watching directors. And I said, all right, well, I'll give it a try. You know, Um, I applied for a couple grants and, uh, and I got them. So I think my student film that I made cost me like out of my own pocket maybe a thousand dollars and I probably got eight thousand dollars in grants to pay for a lot of the film and stuff. So mostly in I'm World War II setting yeah. during Battle of the Bulge. How where did you just like borrow everything? How did you I mean you gotta have guns and wardrobe and makeup so, yeah, and explosions. So, yeah. So what's interesting about that? So I had the grant, so I got a bunch of film for free and got free developing and all this stuff through through the school. And of mm-hmm. course the equipment was free. So I shot on an Aton LTR with an old ingenue zoom lens 16 millimeter um had very basic lighting package you know really tiny stuff all tungsten lights and bounce boards and all that just grips yeah yeah. but we were shooting out in the woods in the middle of the snow so we had all that beautiful bounce light coming off of the snow and most of it was in the day except for like one interior scene at night so but um in respect to the world war ii stuff what happened is um i just i 
got a, I, I don't know where I saw it. I don't know if I saw it in a World War II historical magazine probably, or maybe I saw it on the internet. I don't know. But I found like a website or something for a reenactment site where you could buy you know, authentic looking uniforms um, for Americans like paratroopers or, you know, whatever, depending, depending on what, what branch of the army or the Navy or whatever you wanted to, you know, get a uniform for. And I called this guy and I said, Hey, listen, I can't afford any of this stuff, but could I rent any of this stuff? And he was like, where are you right now? And I go, I'm in Utah. And he goes, well, have you ever think about, thought about contacting reenactors and I go well, I don't even what do you mean reenactor and he's like well there are people who actually dress up in World War II outfits and run around in the bushes and shoot blanks at each other and I'm like really those people really exist and he's like yeah I thought I was like oh I've seen those mountain men guys where they go out and hunt deer as if they're back in the past but yeah no no there's World War II guys and and he said one of the best guys I know lives in a place called Pleasant Grove and I'm like well that's like 10 minutes from my house yeah I called this guy and uh, I said, Hey, I'm just trying to rent, you know, two uniforms. It's a really simple story. Da, 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 da. And he was like, Hmm, I don't know. Let me think about it. I'll call you back. And he calls me back. He goes, all right, here's the deal. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll suit out your, you know, your few actors with gear. Um, but, but, um, in exchange for that, you have to put me and my 12 friends in your movie somewhere and let us bring our Jeep and our half track. And oh I'm my like, gosh. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, so there's uh, your production value immediately for free. And it's like, to the roots. Stipulation. Yeah. 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 Cause they were like, Hey, sweet. Someone's going to film us playing more. So <laughs> yeah, we want to do this. So, um, yeah, minimal costs to me. I had to order a few things that he didn't have. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then I cast a couple of great actor friends of mine that were in the, in the acting program. And, and then everybody else was these reenactors and they ran around in the woods and shot blanks at each other. I guess I had to pay for the blanks. I think the blanks were like, you know, five cents a pop or something. And I had to Incredible. pay like a hundred dollars for blanks or something. Yeah. Um, but then that film became, a, the film was called The Last Good War. And then um, I entered it in a few film festivals and I won all these film festivals and I won like, I think I won like 10 grand with all the film festivals I went to. So my student film actually paid off like half of my student loan. So it worked out really well for me. <laughs> let's, just, let's just say that. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. So how much of that do you think was luck and how much of you th do you think it was just hustle and an actual talent? Mm, that's a good question. I've never quantified it before. Um, definitely a lot of luck involved, always is. I think when you're first making films, I think your, um, your passion for it is leading you blindly down a road that you probably shouldn't be going sometimes, but you go anyway because you're so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. So I think luck, you know, saved me probably on some things that could have gone horribly wrong maybe. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, there's definitely a hustle. I put a lot of time and energy into learning how to use the cameras um, and understanding by working with other directors, how to shoot, you know, a master and an over and over and when it's important to move the camera and, you know, where in your coverage you, sh where in the coverage you want to be to tell the story at that moment. I had learned all that stuff from, from watching others, especially when you work with directors, um, smart directors, you have to learn about like what you actually need and what you don't need. And I started to be able to edit in my head kind of like, Hey, you know, we're going to be here at this moment in the movie 
and then here, and we don't need that full master. We only need like yep. the first 10 seconds of it. We don't need the yeah. rest of it because we'll never come back to it. So yeah, just save a few hundred feet of film or whatever. Right. Yeah. Expect. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's a big part of it. Too. Part of it at that time too, is like with digital, you can just let the camera run until the card runs out. But with film, it was like, you you would literally you would turn the camera on you'd have the slate ready you turn the camera on you'd go okay roll okay mark it mark it get out of there and then, action. <laughs> and then as soon as the person was done you're like I cut and you're like man still got yeah. sixty feet of film on this I can probably get an insert with that you know um, <laughs> so there's an efficiency there um, yeah so I don't know I don't know how to quantify how much of it was luck and how much it was talent but certainly I had put in my dues I had paid my dues. I had camera assisted for other people on local productions and commercials and stuff and had worked with professionals. Had a couple of great mentors. Blair True was a great mentor for me. He had done like mm. a bunch of um, um, Power Ranger episodes and some movies. He he kind of, you know, was there as a director mentor for me. And then TC Christensen, who's a member of the yeah. ASC, uh, he was a great DP mentor for me. He hired me a few times to work with him and trained me on, you know, basic lighting setups and stuff. So... I was very fortunate that I had good mentors around me to help me. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then all those people so, that I had helped out, you know, came and helped me for free on my film because I had helped them all on their films for free. Yeah. So free crew. Yeah. Free crew. Yeah. So, at what point did you uh, decide to turn this film into a feature film or was that the path? It well, I didn't I didn't know. Like I didn't I I had at that point, I still didn't have the intention of being a director after I had had the success with the short film. Um, I did, I kind of still felt like I was going to be a DP. In fact, I, I think that even though I had had success with the short film, I still went on to DP films for other people, people who are graduating, people who were getting their first features off the ground and saying, hey, Ryan, you know, don't have a lot of money, but do you want to come and DP for this for us? I've seen your work. It's great. You know, I think we'd have a good time. So I started doing that. Um, but yes, the short film did help to get my first feature. Uh, when I did Saints and Soldiers, um, basically the story is I was, uh, I was working on a, I guess it was a, I think it was a commercial. It was either that or a short film. I don't remember. Um, I was working in the capacity of the camera department as a camera assistant. Um, I think it was actually for TC Christensen actually. Um, and Adam Abel was there as a production assistant and we were having lunch one day and he said, I want to produce movies. And I said, you know, I think I kind of want to direct movies. And he said, well, hey, I know some really, really rich people. Um, <laughs> do you have an idea? And I said, well, I got this short film and I think you could turn it into a feature. He says, okay, well, why don't we go show them your short film? And uh, I know they'll take a meeting with us. I said, great. And so we met with these very, very rich I think they might be billionaires, to be honest with you. I'm not sure okay. they're worth, but okay. I'm going to say they're billionaires. Um, mm. His kids were going to school at BYU at the same time. Mm. And we sat down and we showed them my little short World War II film and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I made this for out of pocket, you know, under $2,000, which was true, even though technically with all the free stuff, it would have been. No, no, but you were, you were being honest about I it. I was yeah. being honest. Yeah, I spent, you know, just under $2,000 of my own money on it. And they said, I said, we want to make a feature. And we had gone in with the game plan to ask them for like, all right, if we get half a million, we can figure this out. But we'd, yes. we'd love to be closer to 700. So let's ask for 700. And if they go to five, we'll, we'll figure it out. And uh, we went in there and we asked for around $700,000. And they said, uh, how does 900,000 sound? <laughs> 
That's not a true story, Ryan. <laughs> it's a true story. You're uh, kidding me. Oh, no, no. They said, well, I don't know how you're going to do it for 700 What about 900 <laughs> And we were like, sure. Yeah, okay. But, um, what's kind of funny, though, about it is, um, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, is um, so they assigned us one of their many lawyers to oversee, very nice gentleman, um, to oversee it and kind of be the the point person for us with them just because they had so much going on. I mean, this is pocket change to them, right? This is, sure. they're buying hotels and it's fun. Airplane. It's fun for them. It's a, it sounds fun. Well, yeah, why not? Look, yeah. These guys, oh, a, Hollywood, a big Hollywood movie. Yeah. It sounds yeah. fun. Yeah. It sounds fun. Whatever. You know, they weren't really that concerned about the movie. And to be honest with you, you never checked on us, but they did, but their lawyer guy that was assigned to us would check in with us every week and, you know, ask us for an update on spend on our spend and you know where we're at with the shooting or whatever. I think he even came to set for a day and came and watched and said, oh, that was interesting. And then just decided to go back to LA and <laughs> went back to work. But anyway, but what's funny at the very end of it is, is the film became very successful. Um, yeah. And I remember one time we were at dinner with them many years later, like five years after we had made the movie. And and the one of them said to us, so that World War II movie that we uh, that we financed for you guys, how did it do? And we no were like, wait, you, you haven't, you haven't you haven't looked at all of the residual checks, all of the all the investment checks we've sent. Do you remember how much that nine hundred thousand dollar investment ended up paying off mm. for them? I'm sure it's still paying off I, a little bit, but the I would say, you know, I'm gonna go a little low just to be safe because I don't mm -hmm. remember now because um, I just haven't looked at the paperwork for so long. But I believe after they received their original investment back, I believe they saw at least another three million dollars after that. Yeah, how did that but, investment go? So I think that went well for them. And yeah. and the they were like, we told them that and they were like, I think it was actually higher than that on the return, but I just don't remember now. But I'll yeah. say it's three to be safe. And they were like, oh, oh, so it did well. Okay, good. You know, and they were like, hey, do you want to do it again? And they're like, no, it's not really our thing. It's fine. Yeah, it's, it's not really something we want to do. We, you guys, he said something really interesting. He said something like, and we didn't really give him, we didn't really stress him out at all, but he said something yeah. like, you know, you guys, and I wish I could remember how he said it. He goes, you know, you guys are bothering me with like, what was the wording? It was so good. You guys are bothering me with, you know, pocket change problems. And I'm dealing with million dollar problems, meaning like, <laughs> I don't have time to like, you know, mess around with little stuff, you know, I, I'm dealing with buying big hotels in, you know, Hong Kong and stuff. So yeah, it's not really my thing. And I don't want to deal with assigning someone to you to watch over you. And Anyway, he wasn't upset with us or anything. He just, he was just disenchanted with the whole thing. And I don't know if he thought like, Hey, I'll give you 900,000 and I want $27 million on my return and then I'll do it again. I don't know. So yeah, maybe that's know. what he thought. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he thought the three or four million dollars we got we, we disappointing. wasn't wasn't appealing enough. I don't know. So, but that's he was never. Funny. He was very happy with us. I mean, we still see him every couple of years for a meal, and he's very cordial and asks us what we're doing. He invites us over, so it's not like we ended things on a bad terms or anything. Yeah, of course. So, just interesting. Were you able to hold on to any of the equity in that film? Yeah. Yeah. We did a kind of a, a, I can't remember the exact structure of it, but basically, you know, there was something like 125% return on his original investment. And then there was like a 50, 50 split after that on any, uh, you know, profits that were made or something. Mm -hmm. But then again, we were also giving out, uh, participation to all of the crew and the cast that worked deferred yeah 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 well they did actually work deferred they all got paid but we just mm -hmm. everybody was getting paid you know like 
$200 a day or $250 a day or whatever it was. And, and everybody got a little, little piece of the pie, um, at the back end of it. So, um, yeah. So there was, how did you know, how did you know to structure it that way? And, uh, did you have any lawyers that you had hired to take a look at, it, at contracts or was it just yeah. their lawyer? Um, I'm trying to remember how we needed to structure it that way. I think we had had conversations with a few other people that had made movies before with private equity and they kind of gave us some tips and mm -hmm. you know, they basically said, listen, the, you know, your first time filmmaker, you're not going to get someone to do a hundred percent return on their investment. And then a 50, 50 split, they're going to want like 110 or 120 or maybe 150. I don't know. And then they're not, probably not going to give you half of the equity after that. So you're going to have to kind of put it out there and hope that they reciprocate by giving you a fair deal. But when yeah. you're your first film, you're kind of at their mercy, you know, and as you get a track record that you make money on these movies, then you can say, Hey, you know, this is the deal. Take it or leave it. I, you know, made $3 million for my last investor. So are you interested in playing ball with us? You know? Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think we were just advised by some, some other filmmakers um, that had done it before. And we just kind of went off that prototype so, so that was that was your first film that you had uh, directed and shot at the mm -hmm. same time. Yeah. Um, was it financially successful enough for you to then fuel your other things or go to other investors to get other films off the ground? Yeah. So then, um, yes, it was. Unfortunately, I was at a time in my life when you know we were coming off of that that whole thing when you're paying your dues and you're still young in your career and you're kind of you know getting into your first home and. I just think in retrospect, I would have done it a little bit of a different way. I would have thought through it a little more carefully about investments and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about any of that stuff. And so literally I was just going, oh, here comes a check for, you know, $40,000. That's great. We can put most of that down on the townhouse that we bought and we can pay off the rest of the school loan and we can, we need a new car. Our car is garbage. Let's buy a new car, you know? So yeah. we were kind of living like that. Um some of that money we did, we were smart enough. We, we got an office, you know, we have, we have an office, uh, that we bought. Um, we did not invest in gear at that point, but we did, um, have what we call a little film fund, which allowed us to buy the rights to some books that we were interested in or, um, to pay a screenwriter to maybe write something for us. So we had some development money, I guess, is what I was saying, yeah. uh, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and then, yeah, so then, you know, from there, um, because of the success and all the film festivals that uh, Saints and Soldiers had won, uh, people were starting to take meetings with me in L.A., of course, again, being a novice, um, I got an agent and a manager, but I'd go to these meetings at these studios and they'd go, Hey, love saints and soldiers. Amazing. I can't believe it. You made it for that. You got nominated for these independent spirit awards and blah, blah, blah. And they'd say, so what's your next project? And me being a complete novice would be like, uh, well, what do you have? You want to hire me for something? And they like, well, oh, we have wow. projects, but you know, they've already got, you know, directors attached. People attached. Yeah. It wasn't until a lot later that I realized what should have happened but no one taught me, so I didn't know any better, was when you become, um, you know, when you get your 15 minutes of fame in LA, when you become, as, as I like to say, the flavor of the month for a week, um, <laughs> you, um, you need to have a stack of projects that you're passionate about so that when you go into these places and they're excited to work with you and they're interested in engaged with you for that very short window, 
and you say, oh, I have this, whatever, this sci-fi movie or this true sports movie or whatever you have, they're like, oh, can I read it? And then they go, oh my gosh, we love this. Can we develop this with you? Can we, can we get financing? Let's do this. I think my career would have gone a different direction had I understood that and had been prepared and had a stack of stuff ready to, mm. to pitch in essence to these people who were interested to work with me. But instead I was like, well, I just made that movie. Uh, what do you got? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and those meetings basically turned into, you know, nice little 15, 20 minute mo uh, meetings, but did not turn into anything fruitful in the sense of work. Yeah. So that was a big lesson for me. Unfortunately, it took me a few years to realize that's what they actually wanted was me for me to bring them awesome scripts in it. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. But other people did come to the table and other people said, Hey, we want to make a movie with you. We're bringing financing to the table. Um, like with the movies outlaw trail and forever strong, which I did slightly a few years later. Um, basically a financier came to the table and said, Hey, you know, you guys make great movies. Um, what if, you know, I finance these things and then you make these things for us, you know? So that did come from the success of saints and soldiers for sure. Yeah. So at what point did you start to uh, invest in equipment and did that come much later or was that something that the, you, you found fruitful or not so much? No, that came much later, actually. Okay. I did not start the investment into gear until 20, I'm going to say 2014. Okay. Was that much later? And yeah. When was Saints and Soldiers made? That was Saints and Soldiers was like 2002. Well, so I did, I did a lot of films and at that time, you know, to buy your own film gear, I mean, was way <laughs> more expensive than it is yeah. now. Like way yeah. more expensive. Quarter of a million for a camera. Yeah. It just, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't going to happen. You know, mm -hmm. I, you know, in retrospect, yeah, maybe I could have bought a trailer and had some lights or something in it, I guess. But, um, so up until, you know, what, 2000, I think the last thing I shot on film was like in 2008. And I think we switch over to digital somewhere around yeah. then, maybe. Um, that's when things, red cameras start coming available and technology starts really speeding up. And then we start getting into LED lights and everything. And then editing equipment becomes much more affordable. And all of a sudden, now it becomes a reality where, hey, we want to own some stuff. So then we started, you know, we started out with, you know, having an editing. We, we bought an editing system. Um, and then that turned into buying some uh, basic camera gear uh, for shooting, you know, infomercial stuff or basic interviews or whatever. And it's you and, and the production assistant you had met all those years ago? Yeah, his, his name? name is Adam Abel. So we started a company yeah. called Go Films together when we did Saints and Soldiers. And uh, we have an office in Salt Lake. And uh, and now we have a three-ton uh, grip electric package, an Alexa camera package. And then we have uh, Ursum Pro and a couple pockets and you know a bunch of tripods and stuff and 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 it's primarily for our use but there are some people we trust with it where if someone's like hey you know can i you know can i use the three ton or whatever whatever yeah. yeah we'll we'll send it out with certain people uh, so how much of the um running the office and getting other gigs and making sure that finances are good how much of that was adam and how much of it was you mm, that's a good question um again one of those things i've never quantified or like really kept track of um Sometimes, you know, someone will approach me from the aspect of like, hey, we really want you to direct this for us. Um, would you be interested? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and do you have a production company attached? And I'm, they would be like, no, we haven't figured that out yet. I'm like, well, you know, I own one with Adam Abel. So, you know, we'd like to 
to do that, you know, which is kind of how this recent project that I just did kind of came to be. I was originally approached first about uh, directing something with uh, Marie Osmond. And um, then that turned into like, okay, let's make a movie and let's have Go Films produce it, you know, where there's also been commercials, um, even um, other projects that have come through. Uh, contacts to Adam where they're like, Hey, you know, we have something that we want to do. Um, we need someone to produce it. And then he goes, well, you know, um, who's directing it? And they're like, well, we haven't figured that out. And they're like, well, you know, my business partner, Ryan, have you looked at his work? He's DGA. He's a director. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we try as much as possible to work on as many things together as we can. It's not always the case. You know, sometimes People will hire Go Films and use our equipment for, say, a commercial, but it already comes attached with a cinematographer and a director. So, but they want a UPM and a producer, so they'll hire Adam specifically to do that. But they will rent out our gear for it. So I do receive, you know, some back end, you know, of, of that in the sense of rentals and stuff. And of course, we we try to hold on to all money that comes in. We try to continue to build a and. Um, a uh, reserve, a film fund is, is the generic <laughs> that we use for it. And we actually have financed two films ourselves. So we have done that as well. And how have they done? Um, so we did, uh, let's see, well, how many films have we done that way? Two, I guess we've done two. We did two sequels to um, The First Saints and Soldiers. Uh, one was called Airborne Creed. The other one was called The Void. Um, they did not perform at the level of the first movie, but we definitely have made, um, our money back and then, uh, you know, a, a, some profit, you know, so it was, yeah. it was worth the, it was worth the endeavor, but it wasn't, it wasn't a home, you know, it wasn't a home, home run like the first film. Um, mm -hmm. and that's primarily, I think just because we live in an age now where digital, the cost of making things is, is so inexpensive that, you know, now the supply and demand has switched, you know, where there's so much supply and not as much demand at that time. Where when we made Saints and Soldiers, I mean, you know, the competition for World War II movies in 2002 was pretty limited. It was like, you know, Bethan Redline and Private Ryan. Yeah. You know, and those guys are playing at a totally different level than we were. And then when you come down to the independent world, it was like, you know, Saints and Soldiers and maybe like four other, five other World War II movies. And so, hmm. but now it's like, you know, they're a dime a dozen, you know. So yeah. Things had just shifted based on streaming services and things like that. So, but again, you know, we did make a profit. It just, you know. Uh, and you were able to be passionate at the same time. I yeah. think that's really fascinating too, is that you you were able to figure out a way to, Make something that you were passionate about. Who doesn't want to make a World War II movie? You know, it's just like it's everybody's dream. Yeah. And you were able to self-fund it and who almost to a point where it's like, I don't need this to make a ton of money. I don't even need to make the money back because we have this business up and running that uh, can generate income for us to make these fun projects. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's fun when you get to work on a project that you can control. Yes, you're on the hook for it more than, say, another financier or whatever, but then of course nobody's there, you know, telling you what to do and you can do it the way that you want to do it, you know, which is very, uh, liberating. It's very, you know, it's very cathartic in a weird way. Um, when Adam and I just get to do what we want to do the way we want to do it, you know, if the stress in some ways becomes less because of it, even though we know we're on the hook that if this thing fails, you know, we're the ones that are going to lose the most. Yeah. 
So, so talk to me about uh, your different income streams right now, and and that can include other investments outside of the film industry. Well, you know that's that's something that n- now that I'm at an age now where my kids are uh, young adults and they're kind of on their own, I have the freedom now to take on jobs that. I used to pass on, you know, I would get offered, say, a project, say, in Europe for two or three months, and I would pass because I didn't want to be away from my family that long. Um, So, you know, I'm in a position now where if I don't see my kids for a couple months, they don't care. Because <laughs> they're adults and they have lives of their own, yeah. so um, we've moved into a different phase of my life where those projects now, when they come up, I can travel with my wife and and, and go and do those things. Um, obviously, COVID has slowed those things down right now, but hopefully, once COVID's over, it will kind of turn back into what it was potentially becoming, where I could travel home to Vancouver and and go and work on a couple movies, and and my wife can come with me, and you know, my kids are self-sufficient and independent and are okay if they don't see me for a little bit. Um, In respect to other revenue streams, I mean, we um, are right in the midst of getting a rental property, a small rental property um, that we thought we'd give that a try. Uh, It's going to be St. George, Utah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, the economy's good there. It's a nice, safe place to live. It's beautiful. It's, you know, people like it there. Um, and the market's good right now. It's not crazy high, and um, it, for St. George, yeah, yeah, and 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 also it's um it's growing really quickly. It's growing really rapidly, which means um, which I which I think is a good thing. So, um, and then of course you know it's not really a it's not really a revenue stream, but obviously being a member of the DGA, um, you have pension health built into that. You know, which is nice to know that when I retire, that there will be a pension coming through the DGA, which is nice. Um, and then, yeah, I guess besides my directing services and my DP services, we do we do rent out the gear that we purchased through GoFilms. So there's revenue coming in from that as well. But um, I am looking at other things. Um, I'm being pushed really hard by a lot of people. Um, to, people call me all the time asking me advice how to get financing for their first movies or how to approach casting or all that. And so a lot of people are pressuring me for um, – some kind of training program or something. So I'm, I'm thinking about it. Um, talking, yeah. you know, using my, using my expertise of directing, I think 11 features now to train people. Okay. I, that's great that you've done that, but I need to understand that. And I want to do that. And watching masterclass website isn't Ron Howard's not teaching me how to finance a movie. He's teaching <laughs> me how to talk to actors. I need more. So step one, yeah. have $60 million. Step two. Yeah. 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 Step one, find some really, really rich people who ask them for 700,000. They'll give you nine. Start nine that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's, that's a realistic plan. Do that. Yeah. So yeah. I might, I don't know. I'm looking at some, some training type stuff that I might be a part of, but I, I haven't figured that out yet. So that's, you also have a podcast, right? Oh, that's right. Yes, I do. I have the filmmaking friends podcast and that's been great. And that was, I've not tried to use that as a revenue, uh, kind of thing. I, I did it primarily because I was getting so bombarded with questions of like, how do you do this? And how do you do this? And I said, you know what, I'm just going to interview people about these questions. And then when someone says, Hey, you know, I'm an actor and I want to do this. How do I do it? I'm like, Hey, listens to episodes 12, 32 and 71. <laughs> and these guys, I asked those questions and then that's how easy it is to be helpful to someone. So I did yeah. it as a means to be helpful to people. But, um, there has been some sponsorship, uh, small sponsorship where people have said, Hey, could we, you know, 
pay you like 50 bucks an episode to just give us a tag or a shout out or, you know, things like that, which has been nice because I guess that has paid for, you know, the hosting on Libsyn for the, for the podcast so that the podcast doesn't cost me any money out of time or money, my own money, you know, to pay for mm-hmm. those things. Um, yeah. I guess do you I envision better, turning it into a revenue stream in the future. Um, if someone would teach me how to do it, <laughs> maybe I can teach somebody how to get financing for a movie and someone can teach me how to make money on a podcast. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I, I'm sure there's somebody out there who would, who would do that deal with me. Cause there's a lot of power in, in, uh, and not necessarily power. I think that's probably the wrong word, but there's something really interesting with having an audience. And, uh, and I, and I think right now you're kind of in that building the audience stage. I don't know how many listeners yeah. you have in your podcast, but I, you know, I, I'm not doing this podcast 100% out of charity. Yeah. You know, like I, I have thoughts in my mind that, where eventually I'd like to monetize it. Right now, it's it is a, a passion project for sure. sure. I, yeah. I had a lot of crew that uh, couldn't afford homes in Los Angeles, still can't, and and uh, or families. And that's where this podcast comes from for me. It's I really want to give back to that community, mm-hmm. the art, the artistic, creative community, and and just get them, you know, like where their brains can start turning a little bit, where they go, oh, that's not exactly how I thought it would look like, or I could try that, and and hopefully get to the point where they're they're able to afford a house, you know, in, in California or Utah or something and yeah. have a family and not be worried about money all the time. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So, so are there, are there thoughts in your mind of converting that audience to a course or some, some sort of uh, thing where you could teach someone? Yeah, I think so. I just, I need to take the time to do the homework and, and to learn how that, to structure that and, um, and then take the time obviously to write the curriculum and just, you know, go through all the questions that people ask me and say, okay, how do I intelligently, you know, give them an answer to this question that they can then apply and, you know, try on their own to use, you know? So I definitely, I, I think it, it's, it feels very, it feels like it, it's very fulfilling to help people. So it feels yeah. like it'll achieve that objective and at the same time be some passive income, you know, some mailbox money potentially. Um, again, how much I have no idea what it, what it would create, but I f- People just keep telling me, you know, hey, Rye, you've done 11 movies as a director, not to mention other commercials and TV and other things you've done. You are, you are a treasure trove of information that people would like to harness and you need to put it out there and, and you know, don't you, you don't have to charge a million dollars for it, but you can charge something for your time and energy to put it together and you'll be and it's still worth it to people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I want to do. I want to make it a win-win. I'm not trying to gouge people and I just want to figure out like, okay, how much time and energy should I put into this to make it worth my time and energy? Cause your time is worth something, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, have that little bit of mailbox money, that little passive income while I'm working on another movie, all of a sudden, Hey, here's a check for a thousand dollars that just came in that I didn't realize I was getting this month. That's great. I can put that down, you know, on my mortgage or whatever, or, or invested in something else, you know? Do you have any plans for retirement? You mean financially? Financially, yes. Well, financially. I mean, I, when I can, I've been putting money into a SEP IRA. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I'm not super savvy financial planner by any means, but um, it has, you know, SEP IRA, I've, I've I've been putting money into that as much as I can every year. Um, um, you know, obviously I get a pension health through the DGA. Um, and then I'm hoping through experimenting with rental property. And then maybe, like I said, you know, through some educational things that I'm going to take a look at, maybe all those different revenue streams will, will help me to put a better uh, retirement plan together, you know? Right. Yeah, I guess the good news is in the meantime you're you're killing it as a director and as a DP, and you're 
uh, business it sounds like is doing really well, Gulf Films. And yeah, yeah. Um, do you know about how much revenue your equipment makes right now, uh, annually? I I don't. Um, you know, I that's more of an Adam question. You know, we have a, a. I think what we did is, to be honest with you, I think what we did is we just looked at competitive rates of other um, places that you could rent the same gear from. Um, and then just tried to find something slightly more competitive. And then of course, you know, in the film industry, a lot of times, you know, if it's a one day deal, you get a certain amount, but if it's a week, you give them a break, you give them a two day week or whatever, you know, a three day week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, cause you do the same thing. You have, you do the same thing. Um, it's a good question. I don't know. Um, I feel like. No, I don't want to make up numbers. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I don't know. I just don't yeah. know. Has it has it been has it been good enough to the yeah. point where you guys will consider investing in equipment to continue investing in equipment down the road? Yes, I think so. We don't want to become a rental house per se. I mean, I don't think we want to have like. There's lots of rental houses in Salt Lake, um, mm-hmm. but the the reason that people like our package is because it it you don't have to like it's not like a rental house where you go and you say okay I need this and this and this and this it's just like hey this is what our package includes everything that you need for this kind of a level show and they go oh my gosh your package is great you got up to date gear it's all in good shape blah 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 and uh, and then we say hey you know it's you know twenty five hundred a week or whatever whatever we tell them it is and they go oh that's, that's competitive okay sure and the nice thing is is they just come and and pick it up they don't have to have every piece of equipment put on a trailer at a rental house. It just, it's the package. And then the way that we protect the packages is we, the stipulation is, is that the package has to go out with one of of your drivers. Well, actually not even a driver. It has to go out with one of our gaffers, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody that knows the package. It doesn't even have to be a gaffer. I guess it could be a key grip. I mean, if somebody came to town and said, Hey, can I rent your package? And we know them and say, Hey, it's fine. And they're like, you have a gaffer. And they're like, yeah, we have a gaffer that we want to use from LA. It's like, okay, well, that's fine but you need to use our key grip who knows our package who can protect it and watch over it while you're using it um and it's always somebody who's super qualified i'm not going to send them out with somebody who's not really really good yeah. so they're always happy yeah, i send i send my truck out with my best boy electric yeah and uh on that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. and you know it comes back safe you know it doesn't come back mm-hmm. broken you know yeah oh and he's so wonderful i mean he, he really just like treats every piece of gear so well and is like so passionate about like no that doesn't go there it goes over here yeah yeah and uh it's it's just really nice well when you do that for those guys then what happens for them specifically one of the gaffers that we use um people will ask him to to do work on films and stuff and he'll say are you looking for a package and then they'll be like uh yeah we need one he's like i got a great one it's this is what it is and they're like great and then it'll go out with him and it will help him to get work so it's a win-win you know he treats it and takes care of it like it's his own package and you know we give him a great price on it and he takes it out and uses it on other shows which then brings back equity to us yeah brilliant yeah well cool man i i won't take up any more of your time i really appreciate you you being here and uh giving us a little bit of insight into what you do so ryan where, where can people find more about you so i am mostly i'm on all social media but to be honest with you i only really check my instagram which is ryan little underscore director um that's the best place to find me you can also message me on there i'm really good about returning messages on there um and then those that love podcasts can check out filmmaking friends podcast um there's also an instagram page for that um and you can also find filmmaking friends podcast on apple uh spotify you know all of the stitcher all of the great podcast ones and we basically i just interview people about how they got into this crazy industry so it's 
It's fun. Great. Thanks so much, man. All right. Thank you, Lars. Jeez. That guy is just so smart. So smart and so willing to share his knowledge. Man, can't tell you how much I appreciate you, Ryan. So anyway, let me know what you guys think. And uh, let's go ahead and share the podcast with our friends. And let's spread the word. Let's get this thing going. Anyway, have a great week, guys. Thank you.